0: Welcome to the Kenosha City Church podcast. In this message, Pastor Andy will walk through some more debatable issues that Christians face in life. Enjoy the message. We are back, Empires, Volume 4, and we are gonna talk about, again, debatable issues. Two weeks ago, uh, we we teed this off, and we're gonna continue this week and next week uh, on this very issue as Paul lays it out before the church. What is a debatable issue? Now, Uh, Before we go any further, I have a question for you. Who likes free stuff, right? Who likes free stuff when you find out it's free, right? Do we like free stuff? I like free stuff, right? And so, you know, whenever I go out to eat, uh, to McDonald's, and by the way, I was horrified. Uh, We we usually buy hamburgers for our kids, and they were 89 cents. I paid $2.50 for this piddly old hamburger. I'm like, you've gotta be kidding me. All right, you might as well, I just might as well pay you for nothing, right? But the, the inflation has, has hit us, but at least you can get the sauce for free, right? You can get the sauce, wait, that's not true. That's not true, not at McDonald's anymore. In fact, this isn't a, even a new policy around the country. In fact, this hit me 10 years ago. Uh, I went to buy a hamburger and I'd say, okay, I'm gonna spice up my little cheap hamburger with my three barbecue. And they said, I'm sorry, a cup of barbecue is 10 cents. And in a moment of weakness, I freaked. I was like, what are you talking about? It's 10 cents. What are you, uh, you You can't do this to me. I have three reasons why you can't do this to me. I'm sorry, sir. It's 10 cents. Like, I ain't paying it. Well, I'm sorry, sir. You can call the 800 number on the receipt. I'm going to do it. And so I called the 800 number. I got myself a reservation with corporate McDonald's because I want my free barbecue. And they called me and they said, hello, Mr. McGowan. It appears uh, that you have a little problem. Your problem is, is that you... Don't wanna be charged for your barbecue. I'm like, uh-huh. Okay, sir's so like, no, hold up. I have three reasons why I should have this barbecue for free. Number one, it's always been free, all right? It's always been free, so you're not gonna charge me now. Number two, all right, I want you to know that Taco Bell, they don't charge me for their condiments, okay? I, I can go to Burger King, they don't charge me for those condiments. I can go to Chick-fil-A, everybody say hello, right, Chick-fil-A. They don't charge me for, you know, the Polynesian sauce there, so you don't need to charge me here. And then finally, it's just mean. It's just mean, all right? So I want my free barbecue. And they said, okay, sir, uh, we are going to expedite this problem. I said, aha, right on, I win, right? We're going to expedite this problem. Uh, so we need your email address. What's your email? I'm like, Pastor Andy at Kenosha.Church. Now, this was 10 years ago. I've repented, okay? So, but I realized, wait, I won the argument. I may have had three reasons why I thought I was right. But in the end... I let something minor become major, and as a result, that minor that became major buried what was actually major. How was I supposed to go back to the McDonald's they were going to be talking to, and it's on Pershing, the same boulevard that our church is on, and say, Hey, you know what? This pastor Andy at Kenosha Dot Church, he's really angry at you because he doesn't want to pay 10 cents for a barbecue. Listen, here's the deal. I realized in that moment, I do not need to be evangelizing for a free cup of barbecue. I realized I need to go for the major. If I'm going to go in there, people need to know. we Of a free risen Savior with the free grace of Jesus Christ who paid it all for us, right? I let a minor become a major, and of course, when I was on the phone, I said, Listen, you can just forget about it. It's like, huh? It's like, just forget about it. Just look at the email, forget about it. Have a nice day, right? (laughs) Oh, but how many of us have spilt barbecue on different areas of our life? You talking what I'm saying? Like how many of you and your friends, you went after that 10 cent cup of barbecue, you were right and you let them have it, right? Or or what about in your marriage if you're married? Oh yeah, some of you even coming to church this morning, right? You're like, oh yeah, it was five cups of barbecue for our marriage this morning, right? What about the church? What about in the mission that Jesus Christ has entrusted us with and yet we fight over the 10 cent cup of barbecue. We want to know why the church is so inept in the western world right now. It is because we are not contending for the big things. It's because we're not contending for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is because we're not contending for the word of God. It's because we're trying to do things and contend things in our own spirit, our own strength, and not the Holy Spirit. So, we're going to talk about debatable issues. Ones that we may even think that we have freedom to do But yet it's causing major issues. What is a debatable issue? Uh, Two weeks ago I gave the definition. I'll give it again if you're taking notes. A debatable issue is this. It's a behavior. It's an opinion. It's a doctrine or tradition of which Christians disagree due to the lack of specific biblical revelation. Let me read that again. It is a behavior. It's an opinion. It's a doctrine or tradition of which Christians disagree due to the lack of specific biblical revelation. So I'm not talking about things the Bible clearly talks about. Or that people are trying to deconstruct and undo. God's word is plain. It is clear. We can understand what God's word is saying. What I'm talking about is what theologians have been debating since Jesus resurrected. And they're minor things. So our main idea two weeks ago was don't make the major minor and the minor major. The majors that are not debatable is what the Bible calls sin. Today we live in a culture where we want to make sin something that's debatable. It's like, well, I know scripture said that, but that's a document that's 2,000 years ago, and, you know, it's, it's now 2023, and, you know, let's just be a little bit more relevant. Listen, God's word does not need an upgrade. It is for our instruction, it's for our revelation, it is God's will for our life for all time. So what the Bible calls sin is not debatable. Sin is missing the mark of God's holiness. Sin is opposed to the plans of God. Sin is not debatable. What else is not debatable is the supremacy, the authority, the clarity, the sufficiency, the necessity, the inerrancy of God's holy word. Uh, th- this word, the, God's word, it is without error. Without with God's word, what we understand is this. If you want to know the will of God? you got to know God's word. People are like, well, I want to hear the voice of God. Listen, you can't even hear the voice of God if you don't know the word of God because you don't know what voice you're listening to. We must stand upon the sufficiency of scriptures. It is sufficient for us to know God. It is sufficient for us to understand how to be in right relationship with God. It's sufficient to know that how we can walk in right relationship with God in this life. The foundations of the faith are something that are not debatable. The character of God, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the virgin birth, the atonement, that is where Christ stood in our place and took all of our sin, past, present, and future, and he paid it all. That's not up for debate. What's not up for debate is that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He rose from the dead. That's not up for debate. It's not up for debate that he physically rose from the dead and he's physically coming back. And yet it is popular to debate such things. I want to be nuanced. I want to rethink these things. And people have been rethinking and nuancing these things for 2,000 years. And each and every time, their faith ends up in shambles. Why? Because when you destroy the foundations of your faith, you will not have a faith to defend in the end. But not everything should be on the same level as a major. The wall color. We're going to be painting some walls out there, okay? All right? Let's not split the church over that, all right? So, wall color, all right? That, that, that's not the resurrection of Christ. You know, we might have different ideas of what movies we'll go see, right? Uh, There might be uh, different standards on that. I'm like, how dare you see that, right? (laughs) And so, yeah, there might be different standards on that. The volume of music, the style, and order of service. These things, amongst a number of other things, should never be on par with the foundations of the faith. When it comes to debatable issues, you will find yourself in tension. We we, we can never relieve the tension because it's a minor issue. It's a debatable issue. Tension you can't resolve, but one that you're going to need to manage. Why? Because in our life and in the church, you will find yourself drawn to one end of the spectrum, one one side to the other. One side is legalism, all right? And the other side is antinomialism, No law. One is, I'm going to find my favor to God with the law. The other one is, we don't have a law. All right, Uh, we can do whatever we want. In fact, I think we might have some definitions on there. Legalism is earning God's favor by good works. Antinomialism is there's no moral laws God expects Christians to obey. Complete polar opposites, and yet we're like a pendulum. Some days we want to be legalistic. The other days we don't want to have anything, and anybody tells anything what to do. Let's talk about legalism. Legalism is a term that is thrown around thrown around a lot. and needs defined. Legalism, the word is not found in Scripture, and that's why we need to define it. Because if it's not in Scripture, people could throw this word around without it, little to no meaning, just as a pejorative. Typically, if you're a if you're very conservative in life, I'm not talking about politically. I'm just talking about in life. If you have different standards that someone else might not share, uh, someone might throw a pejorative. Oh, you're just legalistic. No, they just have different views on things or they just have uh, different standards just because you have a standard in life doesn't mean you're legalistic you're only legalistic if you think that standard is somehow buying you extra favor to god does that make sense so for instance and we'll talk more about this in this message today i don't drink alcohol all right i personally don't drink alcohol that doesn't make me a legalist uh if if i thought that i didn't drink alcohol was somehow god loved me more andy i love you more why because you don't drink a 40 It's like sweet lord right no, that, that's, that's, not, that's not it at all. It's, 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 a, it's a standard. It's a standard. It's a conviction. True legalism is trying to earn God's favor by, God's, by good works and holding others to a standard that's above what Scripture says to do. That is legalism. The concept of legalism is rejected fully in Scripture. Paul speaking to the Galatian church. It was very clear, the Galatian church, it's really an interesting letter in the Bible in that the Galatian church really struggled going back into legalism. We see this in Galatians 3.1. I'll read this to you. You can make note of it if you're, if you're writing uh, notes. Galatians three verse one: you foolish Galatians, who cast a spell on you? for whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly betrayed and crucified. I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After the beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Legalism tries to instill sanctification that is growing to be more like Christ by your own strength. You can't do it. But that's what legalism attempts to do. The church of Galatia was having a spiritual crisis. The church was born into the freedom of by Jesus Christ and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And yet, false teachers invaded this church and tried to add to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul's response was very clear. Galatians 2.16, he says this. And yet... Listen to this. And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. Even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This is that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. So clear. Our works, our trying to gain favor to God is a fruitless ambition. We, We are made right with Jesus Christ by grace that is undeserved favor. Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death. We are all spiritually dead and deserving spiritually of nothing except uh, eternal uh, separation from the Lord God Almighty, which the Bible calls hell. That's what we deserve. But Jesus so full of love and mercy for the wages of sin is, is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that just an amazing addendum to our predicament in life? That Jesus Christ came to do what we could not do. We do not need to add anything to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is faith plus grace plus nothing. Plus nothing. Oh, we wanna add something. Why? Because sometimes we get insecure. Sometimes we wanna prove ourselves. Sometimes we wanna show off and puff up our chest like, look at me, right? We wanna add to the gospel that is totally uh, gonna be a it's gonna be something that we're gonna to have to struggle with and deal with, but it's faith plus grace plus nothing. Salvation and favor from God is not a result of merit or works. If God's favor was a result of works, then we would merit salvation. We would deserve salvation. We don't deserve it. But the reality is when we fell short because of sin, because of God's great love and mercy, he died for us. The good news is that the gospel is, It's free. Unlike the 10 cent barbecue, the gospel's free. It is free. Now listen, there are a lot of competing ideas out there that are gonna try to say, well, it's free-ish, right? It's a forgivable loan only if, listen, hold up here, every world religion except Christianity, and, and I would say a section of Christianity, we'll get to that in a moment, Every world religion believes that you get to God by your good works. You strive to go after God. Uh, you, have, you, have to, you, have to, you have to agree to another testament or another, another book. Listen, there is no other gospel. There's only one gospel, and Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Every world religion tries to get to God by works, and that doesn't work. A number of churches even within the Christian umbrella this morning will be preaching to you, you need to be good. If you're good, then maybe you'll get to heaven. Or they'll add things like, you need to be baptized to be saved, or you need to read your Bible every day to be saved. Listen, baptism and reading your Bible are very important things and key for growth. let me tell you this right now that is merit if you think that somehow okay I'm gonna have a checklist now now I'm good and wrong Jesus Christ when he was on the cross he didn't say okay here's your forgivable loan now go do these things no what he said was it is finished he canceled the certificate of death with his blood now we may agree with that right we should agree with that right And that by definition means that you're not a legalist. But what evangelicals or Bible-believing churches struggle with oftentimes isn't becoming a legalist by definition. It's becoming a legalist in spirit and attitude. This is where we get into trouble. The attitude of legalism is the spirit that does not live out the spirit of grace. But instead, as John Piper puts it, the Legalistic attitude is pride, demanding, lacking of mercy, lacking of compassion, unkindness, impatience, a standard you put on others you couldn't even keep yourself. And these have their root in a heart that is not in awe by grace, not broken and humble by grace, and not joyfully filled by grace. A spirit of legalism tries to prop yourself up at the expense of other people. And you do this often by upholding a minor thing, a preferential thing, or an opinion, and you try to slay somebody else down with it. Whole churches and movements are built off this, and they cannot stand because legalism does not stand. The spirit of legalism upholds minor issues as major. It is more symbolism over substance. It's more personality than the presence and person of Jesus. It's more than a clique, than a community centered around the gospel. It is more about look at me instead of look at him when we are free in the gospel of jesus christ it's a community where we feel like we have been liberated from the chains of sin from death spiritual death we've been made alive we've been given the breath of the lord to to breathe in us anew we are made new church and that is the spirit of kenosha city church that we never want to lose it's that we are made new We're made new in Jesus Christ. We're not perfect people, uh, but we're people made new in Christ. We're about the gospel of grace that lives out the spirit of grace. That we are saved by God's good favor. And as a result, we're to show his good favor and grace to others through the gospel. And we're to warn others when they begin to make other things supreme over the gospel. Or they're allowing their minor things, their little cup of barbecue, to bury the gospel. Legalism is a cancer, taking debatable preferential issues and making them the issue. Now on the flip side, so that's legalism on this side, right? That's, we are going to be drawn to legalism. We're going to be drawn to prop ourselves up and say, look at me. But on the other side is antinomianism, right? This is no law. It comes from the Greek, anti, meaning against, and nomos, meaning law, Means against the law, theologically speaking, this is where you believe that God has no expectation of moral standard in your life, and this idea is popular. It's a popular, especially within progressive Christianity. It's popular where you're like, "God is love," right? We've heard that, right? God is love, but people use that as a in, in ripping it out of context and in isolation to say, "God is love." Who are you to judge? Do what you want to do, whatever makes you happy very popular in society today. We're going we make Jesus into being a hero of your causes instead of us proclaiming his cause. God is love. It doesn't matter. There's no consequence of sin. Do what makes you happy. Do what you wanna do. Why in the world would anybody think this is biblical, right? It's not. It's not biblical. And it's not new. In fact, Paul had to deal with this error that you can do what you wanna do. He mentions it In Romans chapter six, verse one, he says this. What should we say then? Should we continue to sin that grace may multiply? Somebody's saying, hey, Paul, you know that free grace that you're talking about? That Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you from your sins and it's all free? (laughs) Okay, bet, to use Brandon's term, right? I'll take it. And if it's really free, then I'm gonna do what I wanna do, right? We've thought that before. Oh, God, you don't really care about this today. You died on the cross. I'm gonna go do it anyway. You'll forgive me tomorrow, right? <laughs> Seriously? This is what Paul said to this. Verse two, his response. Shall we sin that his grace gets even bigger? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Let's put it this way. If someone knocked on your door, and they handed you a, certi- a, a debt certificate that was canceled. It was your mortgage. And it was legit. And you're like, your mortgage is paid off. What are you going to do? Are you going to be like, I can't believe you? You're not going to punch him in the face. You're not going to say thank you and then malign him the next day and talk behind his back. You're going to shout from the rooftops, look what my neighbor did. My neighbor paid off my mortgage in full. I don't even know why. I didn't deserve it. I didn't do anything, but I received it, and I'm free. I'm debt free. I'm calling up Dave Ramsey and saying, hallelujah, I am debt free. Woo, right? And yet, sometimes, we try to game God by saying, thank you for dying on the cross, Jesus. I'm going to raise my hand on Sunday. And then when it comes to Monday, I'm going to sit around the water cooler. I'm going to tell inappropriate jokes. I'm going to go say different words about people and stab them in the back. I'm going to swear and I'm going to say whatever I want to say. I'm going to act however I want to act because I know on Sunday when I say, hey God, I'm really sorry, right? Uh, you're you're going you're to be cool with me. Listen, here's the deal. Jesus forgives you when you go to him and ask for forgiveness, but he knows when you're gaming him. He knows it, so quit playing the game and and receive him in gratitude of what he actually did. When people try to game God, they are minimizing or they're forgotten or they never understood the beauty of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. When we realize that we went from spiritually dead to alive because Jesus Christ paid for our sins in full, it should bring a spirit of absolute gratitude and thanksgiving. It should guard our hearts for wanting to go into business for ourselves. It should guard our hearts from saying, God, I'm gonna do whatever I wanna do. It's gonna push us, as Paul said, that if we die, how can we still live? And he's saying, that doesn't make any sense. We're free. We're free, shout it from the rooftops, we are free. Free from what? Free from the stain, and free from the slavery of sin, free from, from being pressed down and, and having to answer every beckon and call of temptation. What is freedom? It's realizing who you are in Christ and living for him as a result of grace. That is true freedom. So, legalism, antinomialism. All right. You're gonna be pushing the one end to the spectrum. Now, let's get to Romans 14, all right? Let's get to the Bible today, all right? Romans chapter 14, I've read a number of scriptures to you, but now it's time to follow along in our Bibles, all right? So open up your Bibles, uh, open up your app, Romans 14. And as you're turning there, uh, we began Romans 14 two weeks ago, and there was an apparent debate in the church over a minor thing. The, the debate was, can we eat meat? Meat specifically sacrificed uh, to idols and then sold at a discount in the meat market all right so demon meat came uh, at a discount and some Christians are like sweet like this we don't believe in idols they're fake uh, like Let's go get some cheap meat, right? I mean, they call it demon meat, but it ain't demon meat because, you know, these idols are fake. Let's just go buy it. And so, a number of people in the church were like, they had prime rib. Uh, they, they had nice cuts, right? They had flaming you know? Yon. They had it all, right? And they're like, hey, you, I want to have you over for dinner. And someone's like, hey, where'd you go? It's like, well, oh, I went to the demon market. You know, it's half price off. We don't believe in those idols. Isn't that silly? And this person is pagan. This person that used to be pagan, that's now in the church. They gave their life to Christ. They used to worship in that temple and they're all mortified. They're like, what do you mean you went to that market and you bought that? meat I used to worship pagan gods in that temple you're giving them money and the person's like well well yeah it's half off who cares right I care I used to be in that pagan temple and then enters someone in the door it's their neighbor it's this guy he used to you know he used to walk in the Jewish faith and now he's a a Jewish convert to Jesus Christ and he's like hey guys uh what's for dinner he's like well he's serving the demon meat over here It's like well it was cheap and the the the, the Jewish Christian now is like wait a minute what are you talking about Like, I would never eat that meat. That meat's unclean. I I eat vegetables. You have three groups of people in the church, and they're warring over each other. One's gonna eat the meat. One's mortified they're eating the meat because they don't want to support the temple. And the other one came from the Jewish faith, and they still had some Jewish expectations, of which Paul preaches against in Scripture. But their Jewish expectation was, hey, I just want to eat vegetables. And you can see that there's gonna be a royal rumble around that dinner table, and that royal rumble that's around the dinner table, you better believe it, if it's not resolved, it's gonna end up in the church service. And then you can imagine in the church, the preacher's preaching something, but the people are talking about something different in the seats, they're all talking about the meat market. And Paul is slapping his forehead, he's like, oh, come on, guys. so, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3. Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. You have knowledge, you have knowledge, and you have knowledge. The three groups, right? Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know as he ought to know, but if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Romans 14, 18 through 19. You can go and we're there, so go ahead and take a look at that. Romans 14, 18 through 19, but... Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and the mutual upbuilding. What he's saying is, you guys are fighting for meat or no meat, but where is the upbuilding so that we can preach the gospel? Freedom's aim is not to do whatever you want to do or for your opinion to be supreme, but rather your freedom is this. You're free from the stain and guilt of sin because it's been paid for and fall on the cross. Your freedom now is to be unleashed, to be more like Christ and to build others up like Jesus as you share the gospel. Here's the main idea. It's this, that true freedom is not self-seeking. We often think I'm free, therefore I can do whatever I want to do. But the Bible flips this equation. True freedom, real freedom, isn't about you. Real freedom is actually being unleashed and empowered and anointed to do the work of God in other people's lives. True freedom is not self-seeking. So we're gonna look at two principles to further our help with true freedom not becoming self-seeking. The first principle Paul reminds us of is this. Number one is our decisions are accountable before God. Our decisions are accountable before God. Uh, you're gonna have subject matters that are minor issues that you might not agree with the person next to you. That doesn't mean that you go to war, all right? You, you, it doesn't mean that, that you're unaccountable. You are accountable to God. Look at this, Romans chapter 14, verse 10. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? Because they, they do this. For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge me so then, each of us will give an account uh, of ourselves to God. So Paul was asking the church, why do you, the weak brother, why do you who abstain from meat, uh, why are you judging the one who eats meat and vice versa, the one who eats meat, why are you having contempt for the one that doesn't? Now, let's make this clear. When Paul says weak and stronger here, it's not like we, what we use today. When we say, oh, he's a strong Christian, usually what we mean by that is they've been in the faith a long time, they're seasoned, they know the word of God. That's not what he's using this term for. A weak Christian is somebody who doesn't eat meat, all right, or doesn't uh, partake of something that other people believe that you can, so they, they feel like they're strong enough uh, to, to handle this. It is not a condition on their spiritual maturity. There were people that didn't eat demon meat and were very mature, were leading awesome Bible studies, I'm sure, and leading tons of people to Christ. They were mature. Eating meat or not eating meat was not a basis of their maturity. If that was the case, then one, well, I guess legalism's a thing, but it's not. So the church was judging each other's decision on who ate meat, and Paul was like saying, hey, hey, guys, stop. Stop judging each other stop wasting all your passion and all your energy and your time on this subject because you want to know something each and every one of us is going to stand before the lord god almighty did you know that like a man they just i just got to convince them listen you can have a nice conversation but when it crosses the line of all your passion your time and effort is being spent on this one thing and not the mission i want you to know you're going to stand before god on that too we will all stand before the perfect judge. And here is the, here's the clincher, here's the clincher here, all right? No matter what you do in your life, you need to be absolutely certain you're gonna stand with a clear conscience before the Lord God Almighty. Too many people are saying, I'm strong, I can handle this, when in reality, they're not, and they're gonna stand before God, and God's gonna be like, hey, what's up with that? Now, we will all stand before the Lord God Almighty. What we see here is that every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. I love that. Man, we have people that over the last couple years are like, hey, bow down and and say these things, acknowledge these philosophies or acknowledge these type of ways of thinking. And I gotta say, hey, there's only one knee I'm gonna bow to. And that is the Lord God Almighty. And guess what? If you don't want to bow your knee to him right now, there's going to be a moment in history where all the whole world will bow their knee before the Lord God Almighty and say, you are Lord. But here's the thing. If you're going to wait to bow your knee before the Lord at that moment in history, at the end of time, it's too late. It's too late. Your decision has been made uh, that you've rejected Christ in your life. You need to bow the knee right now. You need to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior right now. We will be judged whether we know Christ, whether we've received Jesus as Savior or not. But we will also be judged separately as Christians. We will be judged by what we did in our life. And this will uh, result in having a reward or not in heaven. I don't know what that's about. I've said this before. If it's a reward in heaven, it's going to be sweet, all right? Don't know. Don't know what it is. Bible doesn't really allude to it much, but it talks about it, all right? And so... Uh, We will all stand before God and how we live our life. And so what Paul is saying, hey, don't do God's job on something the Bible's not clear on. And I would say, if I can just speak into 2023 here, uh, the church as a whole, like the churches in the West as a whole, we get so off track on our opinions and our preferences, and we begin to talk about other people and about other things, and we are missing the point. There's a reason why America is more secular than ever. There's a reason why Gen Z and the millennials have rejected Christianity. Why? Because the gospel is being preached in a pure grace form. The gospel is the answer to everything. Everything. We will all, everyone say all, we will all stand before the Lord God Almighty and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We want people, often, our our unity needs to be over the gospel. It it needs to be over what the word of God says. It it needs to be over uh, being empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need to have unity on that. But unfortunately, let me just talk into this. The reason why the church, the Western church, is hobbling right now is because we don't want unity on those things. We want uniformity on minor things. We want uniformity. Uh, we want, to be, we, we want uh, everybody to agree on, on, on particular bits that, that, that the word of God may even be silent on. Listen, we need to be a church that's passionate, passionate about the right things. I heard a pastor put it this way. He says, we become self-serving when we insist that it is our way or we go. We want What we want is his people to be focused on advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ until he comes back. That we would grow and be more like him until he comes back. We will all stand before him and we need to get our passions aligned right now that matters most to the heart of God. Don't we dare ever tear anybody down for the minor things, the things that ultimately are subservient to the gospel. Don't we dare bury the gospel so that we can get attention with, with minor things. The gospel of Jesus Christ needs to be supreme in everything else flow through it because true freedom is not self-seeking it's not self-seeking our decisions are accountable for god secondly our decisions must build each other up so we will all stand before god so you better you better be confident right better be confident but our decisions must also Build each other up. So we we have a horizontal aspect, right? Uh, it's, it's each other. We have a, a, a vertical aspect to God, right? Uh, it, it's They're both important. And so we need to build each other up. Romans chapter 14, verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but if anyone regards something unclean, then for that person, it's unclean. For uh, brother and sister is distressed because of what you eat. You're no longer acting in love. Do, do, uh, do not, by your eating, destroy someone from whom Christ has died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, joy, in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and act a mutual edification. There was a person, when I started preaching 15 years ago, they'd always come up to me, and they would start off their sentence with, they'd always start their sentence with this. I know you've heard this. Andy, I say this in love. (laughs) And you know what you're gonna hear. You're just braced for as like, I'm gonna hear something so unloving, right? And they would always critique my message, always. They, 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 They had nothing ever good to say about it. Andy, I say this in love. What? And they would just go on and on, and on, and I would smile, because they were saying in love, I guess. But one week, they changed their approach. They said, Andy, I absolutely loved the message this week. I thought, amazing. <laughs> and then their smile went to a frown, they said, yeah, not really, I was just trying to get your attention. <laughs> it's like, oh, really? Here's the deal. You want to know something? I, I, maybe there was some truth in what they're saying. I don't know. I was a young pastor preaching. But all I know is I can't even remember what they said, but that person was able to move into my head, rent free, and speak words over me over and over and over and over again. Oh yes, you can say it in love, and oh yes, you can say it because you might feel like that you have something to dispense and put in someone's head. But I want you to know this no matter what we do, may it be a spiritual gift, maybe be the words that come out of our mouth, maybe the things that we partake in our life, it needs to build each other up in the church and not destroy anybody. Does that make sense? In fact, science even shows this, psychologists even, even show this, that we need five positive comments to one negative word of feedback. Marriage research has shown that couples are most likely to divorce if they have a ratio of three or less positive comments to four negative, right? And so if you, wanna, if you wanna live life good with your friends and your workplace and oh yes, your marriage, right? Uh, you need to have a five positive comments to one negative word of feedback, right? And the negative word of feedback also needs to build up. What I'm saying is don't count like okay, you're great, you're great, you're great, you're great, you're great, okay, let's get to the real one, right? Yeah, people, are gonna, people are gonna sniff that out, right? <laughs> Husbands, have you done that? Shame, okay? Your wife, your wife saw right through that, right? Here's some roses. All right, let's talk about it. All right, okay. Might as well save your money for the roses because they're not going to receive them. Right? The thing is, this this applies to the body of Christ too. We need to build each other up. Paul tells the Philippians, find what's excellent. You may have to take a shovel and you may have to dig and dig and dig because that person's difficult. Oh, you don't know what that person did to me. Guess what? Get the shovel and start digging because that's what you're supposed to be dwelling on, what's excellent. And it's hard. And we all felt that, don't we? We must not judge one another. That is to act judgmental. Instead, What Paul tells us is we're going to make up our mind. That is, make up on your mind on what is debatable, uh, what you're going to do in your life. But you need to do it in considering the cause of Jesus Christ and the body of Christ of what you do ministry with. We need to ask the Lord, is what I am doing a stumbling block and going to lead somebody else to sin? He tells the church in Corinth a similar thing. I'll read it to you, 1 Corinthians 8, 9. But be careful that this right of yours, this freedom of yours, is no way becoming a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? So the weak person, the brother or sister for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. Verse 12, now when you sin like this against brothers and sisters and wound their conscience, you are sinning against Christ. It's not like, I oh, just get over it. Guess what? Christ is like, I'm not over it. Wait, 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 hold up, what'd you do? You, you're, you, 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 wanna, you wanna focus on, on yourself at the expense of this person who is now gonna fall off the wagon? Well, excuse me. It's a thing you're about to do, going to hurt somebody. It's not about that you have the right, so therefore back off. I'm gonna do what I wanna do but it's about building each other up. And listen, you're like, give me an answer then. Should I do or do this thing or should I not do this thing? Listen, you need to go before the Lord and wrestle it out, right? I told you I'd give you some examples, so let's walk through some examples, and listen, here's, here's a warning. We all are gonna get mad right now, all right? Is that cool? And I realized as I was writing this, this message, I didn't have enough time to go through all the things that you, uh, you know, wanted me to talk about, so guess what? The Sunday after Easter, it's called You Asked For It. I have all the content, all right? Because uh, you gave me some really good things, like, hey, can we, can we not? Uh, what about this? What about that? Listen, just remember, the day after Easter, oh yeah, more fireworks, all right? So here we are. It's not, it's not that bad. I'm, 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 uh, Well, maybe you'll get mad. Who knows? All right, so here we are. It's okay, though. Listen, here's the deal. When we get mad about something like small, like a minor issue in our life or debatable issues, it is an alert system to us that, number one, it's a conviction. So honor your your personal conviction. Honor that. You can definitely explain to people why you have that conviction. But it is an alarm bell to, to make you, put you on notice. Hey... Do you love the gospel more than that alarm, that that thing that the alarm bell is going off with, right? It is a time, a reminder to realign us to the mission of Jesus Christ. All right, first one I got was dancing. All right, that's, that's an old school one. Um, I, I grew up in a church, I grew up a, a, in a Bible church, and then I grew up in an evangelical free church, and then I grew up in a, I, I'm a mutt, I've been, I've, I've been in all different Bible-believing churches and flavors, right? You know, I've, I've hung out with a, you know, in, 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 in charismatic circles, where people are like, what are we as Kenosha City Church? I'm like, well, we're spirit and truth, right? And I love that, it confuses people, like, because it's not supposed to be a paradigm where the charismatics get, you know, people that are charismatic churches get all the Holy Spirit, and then the Bible-believing churches get all the Bible. It's like, let's have both, let's have a party, woo right? So anyway. Let's dance. No, I'm just kidding. All right, well, not really. I, I don't know. All right. But where did dancing get banned in churches? I'm not sure. I remember the first time I heard of a church down the road, like, yeah, dancing's banned. It's of the, of the devil. And I'm like, I, I always saw, like, ballroom dancing. I didn't, I didn't know about, you know, the, the bumping and grinding in the clubs. You know, I didn't know about that, right? But I was like, as a kid, I was like, I was just kind of cross was Like, really? That's kind of weird. I mean, I don't want to dance. That's cool. Like, I wish, I wish this church had a ban on dancing. I don't like it. Anyway, so anyway, uh, I just I, I'm. It's not my thing, right? But anyway, Allison's always dragging me out on the, the dance floor the wedding. So let's dance. I'm oh like, God, do we have to, right? So but if there's anybody I'm going to dance with, it's going to be my wife because she's beautiful, all right? So she knows that if I'm dancing out there, it is love. But here's the deal I never grew up in a church that talked about it, but obviously, provocative dancing is wrong, right? I remember when I got into college and I started seeing some of my friends, and sometimes Christian friends, they'd start going to these clubs. I'm like, where are you going? Why are you dressed that way? And they're like, oh, we're going to go to this club. I'm like, that doesn't sound like God's going to be glorified tonight, all right? I, I, I really You have to look at the context here. If you're like doing an innocent dance to, to music that's not inappropriate at a wedding, knock yourself out. I look like a fool on the dance floor, right? But if you're going to the club and you're trying to like, yeah, I— you are literally going to the lion's den you're picking up snakes and hoping you're not going to get bit listen you play with snakes long enough you will get bit all right so it needs to be context it's appropriate or not okay it's dancing another one was harry potter all right or other movies like and that's so funny because this was a a thing about 20 years ago that people started kind of freaking out about and then it kind of died off Uh, this one was a big big one 20 years ago um Should a book that includes you know, uh, magic and spells and, and things like that, should that be something that Christians partake in? Uh, people really went crazy about this 20 years ago. And people like, have I ever seen a Harry Potter movie? I haven't. And it's not because I chose not to because Harry Potter was evil. At the time, another movie about magic and spells and all these things called Lord of the Rings came out. And I thought it was way more like awesome and more mature. So I'm not gonna go see this little kid and and, and, Harry Potter. I I have Gandalf, right? (laughs) But therein lies the issue. If we if we draw a hard line and say, okay, no Harry Potter, well then what about Chronicles of Narnia? Oh, what about what about, what about The Lord of the Rings? What about any other movie? And we may have really passionate arguments of why we shouldn't and should not. You gotta go before the Lord on that. If your conscience is pricked about it, guess what? You should be watching it, right? But here's the deal. I will say this. Whereas 20 years ago, we kind of looked at like a, you know, the, when you look at the witch and wizard of oz, you're like, oh, that's funny, or you know, kind of scary, whatever. But, you know, in the last 20 years, paganism has risen to unprecedented levels here in the United States. It, what was once in the underground, it's now in the markets, even here in Kenosha. And so we got to understand, like, when we're introducing our children to things, they got to understand what is fantasy, what is real, and, and, and what we need to, what we, in, in this life, in our life, need to stay clear from. And I believe those lines have been been blurred a bit. You know, you go to comic cons and people begin to, you know, they play cosplay, they dress up in these characters, and they believe that they're Mario or whatever. It's like you're not Mario. You're just this is like Halloween and trick or treat for thirty year olds. I don't understand this. So anyway, but 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 the point is this. We have to understand uh, what are, where our minds are going and what is in reality. And that, that line is being blurred. People are searching. People want, ex- they want to escape from this reality. And what they're doing is sometimes they're going back to their childhood things. So they're going to the market here in Kenosha. They're buying tarot cards. They're getting psychic readings. Uh, they're, they're even becoming witches. And, and the thing is, these are moms that are watching their kids uh, play sports on the weekend. And they're going down there and going down to the market and learn how to become a witch and buy tarot cards. I want to tell you this right now, that's of the, that is of the devil, right? Uh, what is what is very clear here is that we do not toy around with and buy tarot cards or to learn how to become a witch or, or get our crystal readings and palm readings and thinking that somehow I'm spiritual. That is counterfeit. That's of the devil, all right? Uh, the, the devil is in that. He's in the details, literally. And so when it comes to movies, where does it open your heart to? I'm going to tell you, I used to watch horror movies all the time, all right? I'm going to admit something to you, all right? We're being real and transparent here. I remember in college watching The Shining, okay? Uh, it was the edited version, but still, it was The Shining. And I thought, oh, well, you know, i work and a play, it makes Jack a Doll Boy, right? It's like, it's like, I remember, and then I was like, oh, I'm gonna watch another horror movie, another horror movie, and then I realized what I felt like when I went to bed. I realized I was entertaining myself on demons that in reality are real. And I couldn't, I couldn't rectify that, I couldn't. So it's like, horror movies, gone, right? They're gone, right? But again, some of you are like, well, you know, I just, I know I'm I'm strong. Okay, whatever. All right, we can have that talk later, and we're not going to split the church over it. And, uh, you, you know, are you going to put all your, your your power and passion into the resurrection of Christ? Yeah, okay, great. But here's the deal. Re- people in real life are making the distinction here, and they're diving into real pagan things the Bible says stay away from. Anyway, there it is. There's your Harry Potter. Uh, I'm sure people send me different uh, uh They'll send me different emails on that one. It says, Galatians 5.19, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. Oh, here it is, sorcery. There it is, all right? So we are to stay away from that. What about alcohol? Oh, here's a good one, right? And by the way, we are gonna have a bonus uh, episode, uh, I think on 4.19, because you know what the next day is, uh, on marijuana, all right? So it's a message I gave a while back ago. We're gonna cut it back up. And uh, because again, I believe that Christians are... Getting astray on that, okay? And it is something that Christians should avoid. I'm going to explain why in that bonus podcast coming up. But let's talk about alcohol today, okay? So alcohol has been brought up a lot. Like, you you're like, okay, I can replace meat with alcohol, all right? What does the Bible say about alcohol? It says a lot. I'll give you two verses here. Proverbs 20, verse 1 says, states that wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Ephesians 5.18 says, do not get drunk with wine. For that is debauchery. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. God values our sobriety. Why? When we are sober, when we are not sober, when we are drunk, or when we are high, our faculties are lowered, and we are susceptible to demonic attack. Sometimes we see this when someone gets drunk; they begin to make foolish decisions. Uh, the words that start coming out of their mouth are, per, are perverse or are completely uncharacteristic. And so, the Bible values our sobriety. Without sobriety, we cannot be full of the Spirit in that moment. So the Bible says, do not get drunk. What is drunk? Well, our law says 0.08% alcohol content, right? 0.08%. I, I checked scripture, I couldn't find that percentage. Where, I couldn't. So I'm like, okay, where did that percentage come from? It came from, well, in this state, the Wisconsin legislature, and in many other state legislatures are at 0.08%. Some are even lower. So what does God mean if he doesn't have the percentage of don't get drunk? It means this. It means that alcohol should not change our mind. It shouldn't change our mind. It shouldn't change our mood. It shouldn't change us. Which means, some of you that like to drink and get that buzz, right? You like to get that buzz. Well, guess what? You might like it. God doesn't. He doesn't like it. He doesn't like it. You know what? You want to, he, this is what he wants you to get your buzz on. This is what he's saying in Ephesians 5, 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine, which means a buzz, which means a change in your faculties, which means a change in your emotions. Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But here's the deal. Get filled. And that word with filled is a continuous action, which means this. You can't overdo it, right? You say, okay, Holy Spirit, fill me, fill me. Fill me, I can get the fill over here and get into sin. But listen, Holy Spirit, you can fill me and you can keep it coming. Another round, another round, another round. Why? Because we can't get enough of God. So get your buzz off worship, get your buzz off prayer, get your buzz off the word of God, get your buzz off biblical community. Listen, to be drunk is a counterfeit to the joy that God wants to offer you in his spirit and word. Sin is to allow alcohol or any drug to drop your faculties for recreation. So, Churches have embraced this in the last 20 years. And again, this is just a wisdom issue. I'm just telling you, drunkenness, I've seen come into the church, right? And and we've we've lowered the bar on drunkenness, all right? I've seen some, even churches embrace this. I've even had some pastors tell me, oh, it's not bad to get drunk in the privacy of your home. Again, I check scripture. I'm like, that's not what Ephesians 5.18 says. Some have created small groups of of making beer in their churches. Some, Some have taken their praise team and played in bars. I was in a church once. We're the praise team, unbeknownst to me. Now I wasn't the main guy, but uh unbeknownst to me, they started playing in bars. All right? They started playing in bars. They would they would, they would, they would they'd play worship on Sunday, and they'd play greatest hits in the 60s at whatever bar they're at when it wasn't Sunday. And uh and so they brought the whole team, what they didn't really take in consideration. One of the guys there was a raging alcoholic who had been sober for years, and one night he said, Bartender! Give me another shot, right? And he just started drinking and drinking. He went on a weekend bender. The next Sunday, I'm like, hey, where's Jeff? Where's Jeff at? And they just looked stone cold white. I was like, yeah, about that. So we've been playing, you know, at this uh, bar. And uh, yeah, he got drunk. And then he went on a bender and he's been in jail. Jail? Like, what? I've never saw him again. Why? Because people who thought they were strong were not thinking of the weakness of their brother and they were appraised him. Like that's how bonkers that we can get when we begin to look at our faith as just ours. We look at our faith as if we're the end goal of making us therapeutically happy. I'm here today, God, because I want you to change my life and make me happier. Listen, God will make you happier. That's not the end goal. The end goal is to know God. they surpassing goodness of who he is and to spread his gospel until he comes back. Look at verse 15, chapter 14. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone whom Christ died. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. And so I just want you to know, for me personally, I don't drink because I know by my example it carries weight. And I know that one in seven people in America today are are alcoholics. And I know that if I say, hey, go and drink and be merry, there's going to be more Jeffs. So that's that's where personally I'm at, and that's where our staff's at. Okay, and now we don't have a check at the door. Like, okay, this is a, this is a dry church. Like, if you if you if you were uh, you know at the bar last night, you can't come in here. Absolutely not, right? And anything else? Did you read Harry Potter last week? Right? Did you go dancing? It's like okay. I mean, this church in the 1960s had somebody come in the doors back back in the. Back in the 60s, is was very Baptist at the time. His hair down to his shoulders. And one of the patriarchs of the church said, come here. It was not this building, it was a different building. He said, I want you to come downstairs with me. He was a barber by trade. He says, if you're going to be in this church, you need to cut your hair, and he cut his hair. That individual left the church for decades. He came in when I was in this church. He introduced himself. He says, this is the first time I've been in church 40 years if we're not on the gospel we can all get aligned on the gospel but when we make it about something else we push people away that need to hear the gospel I'm not endorsing one thing or another and again I already told you where I personally land on it in my life but on one particular subject in my life but here's the deal so easy we can get hung up on things and we put it before the gospel isn't that legalism I'm not legalistic for being a teetotaler but when we when we make the church about something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ we will fall inevitably into legalism it doesn't mean it's not an important conversation and something that we should have it just needs to be in the rightful place point three and then we'll close therefore our decisions must come in faith Romans 14, 20, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food, for the sake of dancing, for the sake of movies, for the sake of alcohol. All food is clean, but it's wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is not better to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that causes your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. People's like, sweet, I'll do the. This is where they say, I'll do this in the, you know, the safety of my own home. No, 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 no. What he's saying is, you better have the conscience that what you're doing is building your faith. That's what that means. Doesn't mean that it's just me and my house. What I do in Vegas stays in Vegas. No, no, no. That's not what that verse means. Whatever we do, it needs to build up. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Whatever you do, it must be done in faith with a clear conscience and it must be done in love towards others to build them up. Do not be a stumbling block. The bottom line is this, build each other up in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're gonna do this. We're going to. I'm gonna give you some take home here and then we're just gonna wait on God, okay? Because I believe that God wants to, there's some passions raising up. Like, oh, I really believe. Look, you can be passionate about those things. But what God wants to realign in you this morning is this. A love for his word. An immovable vision for the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ to be advanced. And for you not to rely on your own power and strength. That's why sometimes we we, we dust it up with minor things and make them uh, an anthill into a mountain is because We're doing it in our own strength. We need the Holy Spirit. So here's our take home. What are the possible stumbling blocks in your life right now for others? You're like, hey, you've just been flippant and it's actually, what could be a stumbling block? Number two, where are you being too legalistic towards God? Number three, what are you more passionate about than the gospel? And number four, thank God for his provision of the gospel in your life. Just waiting on the Spirit of God. He's going to share some things. I I had some feedback from some of you from the last couple weeks, and you went deep. Like God just hit you, and and the Spirit just revealed things to you. And I am so thankful for that feedback. Let's do it again. Let's let God do a deep dive in our heart right now. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would search our hearts and you'd search our minds. I pray for that person who has been overly critical. Because they've been focused on those minor things, that cup of barbecue per se. I pray for that marriage that's that's on the rocks right now. We got a conversation even in the last three days, and it's just been, it's been, it's just been going down. Father, I pray, uh, I pray for the person that's battling addiction. That just like Jeff, we never saw again. Or God, I just pray for that person that. Today they would break free from that thing they think they have freedom in and it's actually taking them down. Lord Jesus, I pray that we be obedient to your word. Your word is clear, sobriety. Your word is clear, being focused on your gospel. Your word is clear that that we are to worship one, the one and true God, you. Remove any idols in our life. God, I pray for the person that resonated with that haircut story. Maybe they're in church for the first time in a long time. I pray they would see you. Not the brokenness in the room. They'd see you. So Spirit of God, meet with them right now. As we continue to pray, I want to speak specifically to the person or persons that today if Jesus Christ were to come back, you don't know if you'd go to heaven. I want you to know that Jesus Christ came to this world to make certain and to make a way that you can be made right with God and spend eternity with him. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, died on the cross to stand in your place for the punishment that occurs because of sin. Sin separates you from God. If we we stay in our sin, uh, we will never be with God in eternity. But Jesus Christ changed that. He died on the cross. He took on the wrath of God. He took on every sin of yours, past, present, future. He died, he rose from the dead. And the reason why he rose from the dead because he was a perfect sacrifice and and sin couldn't keep him down. He defeated death. And because he defeated death, he's now offering you eternal life. How do you receive it? Just speak out to God right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I wanna receive you. Lord Jesus, I place my faith and trust in you alone. So Lord God, we pray that right now. If there's anybody in this room, they would just cry out to you. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. With every head's bowed and eyes closed, if that's you this morning, you want Jesus Christ to step in your life. You, you want to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you want Jesus, with every head's bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, just slip up your hand right now and say, that's me. That's me. I want to place my faith and trust in him alone. All right, awesome. Father, I pray for what the Spirit of God is doing here. I pray, God, that we would not ignore it